Have you ever been in an argument or a discussion with somebody, and whenever they made a point, you didn't just say, she's right, but you said, that's right? In his book, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as If Your Life Depended on It, Chris Voss, who used to be the chief hostage negotiator for the FBI, says, the difference is when someone makes a point and you say, she's right, all you're doing is giving the person the point. You really might not have changed your mind at all. But whenever the person makes a point and you realize, whoa, that is universally true, and you say, that's right, that person has gone a long way to basically winning the argument. And that's where we are in the Apostle Paul's argument or conversation with the believers at the church in Galatia this week. If you're new or watching for the very first time, or maybe you haven't been watching for quite a while, uh, we've been in this series. This is the fourth week of a series that's called New Beginnings, Galatians freedom and and fruit. And the purpose of this series is for us to see that if we want to live in freedom, we need to have Jesus Christ be Savior and Lord in our lives. And when we do that, we will produce fruit. And fruit, it just means results, results that matter in everyday life and actually matter for eternity. So Chris Voss says, we want to get to the point where we agree and we say, that's right, when, and he's talking about in hostage negotiations, and he said, you know, you're never going to split the difference when you're in a hostage negotiation. It's not like you can say, okay, there are four hostages, give us two, and, and, and you can kill two. That's just not going to work. And, and we're talking about something that's equally as important, maybe even more important, when the Apostle Paul is talking to the Galatians, because what he's talking about is their eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. So Paul had planted this church in a place called Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And uh, he had gone to that city. He had preached the good news on the streets. People had responded. They had said, that's right. And they had trusted Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And as a result of that, a number of those people became the church in the city of Galatia. And they had been forgiven of their sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. They had been given the new life that Jesus promised them. And they realized that when Jesus said that they needed to be born again, they were born again. That's really what happened when Paul preached the gospel in Galatia. But then what happened was, as usually happened, is Paul didn't stay there. I mean, he didn't stay and plant the church and then continue to be the pastor of the church until he retired. He actually probably was only there a few months And then he traveled on to another town where he shared the good news of Jesus once again, and and another church was born. In the meantime, the church in Galatia had some problems. It usually happened that way. Paul started a church, and the church ended up with some problems. And in this particular case, the reason um, that the New Testament, half the New Testament exists, is because the Apostle Paul wrote letters to address the problems. What had happened in Galatia was after Paul left town, a group of people came in that biblical scholars call Judaizers, and they had said that knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and trusting his blood shed on the cross for our forgiveness is not enough. We need Jesus and something else, and that something else was the Jewish law. Paul had said that salvation is found in Jesus alone, and so the Judaizers and Paul were at odds with each other. And once Paul found out that this argument was going on and the Judaizers were winning the day, really, Paul was afraid that the Galatian believers were going to really walk down a path that would lead to their missing out on the salvation that Jesus had died and risen again to give them. So, so far we've covered one and a half chapters of the six chapters that Paul wrote in his letter. We've seen how Paul told the Galatians, 
Um, that he was an apostle appointed by God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not appointed by any human being, not by a committee, not by a team, not by a denomination. He was appointed by God the Father and the Lord Jesus. That gave him quite a bit of authority. So after Paul told them who he was, and that they knew who he was, but that it was, it was Paul who was writing. And then he said, may you have the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. After he said that, he got immediately into taking on the Judaizers and the, and the, the faulty thinking and, and the faulty actions that resulted from that thinking that came out of their statement that it was Jesus and the law rather than just Jesus. In fact, Paul had told the Galatians that what they were teaching was a different kind of good news which is where I got the take-home point for the very first message back in the first weekend of June, which is not all good news is truly good. The next week, Pastor Alex focused on the radical change in Paul's life. Paul had been a Pharisee, someone who meticulously followed the law of Moses until he met Jesus personally. And when Jesus called Paul into a relationship with himself. Paul knew that he didn't need the law of Moses anymore. And actually, Jesus called Paul to be the apostle or the sent one to the Gentile world. The Gentiles were anybody who were, who were not Jews. And so Paul was a Jew. He became a believer in Jesus Christ, and he became the apostle to the Gentiles. And so now, what Pastor Alex reminded us is, Paul had become a new person, and he went out to preach that we all become new creations. In fact, that was his take-home point. When God enters our lives, we are new creations. That brought us to the end of chapter 1 of Galatians. Last week, Pastor Barry entered into chapter 2, and he talked about the first half of the chapter. Paul told his readers of a meeting that he had had with some important people in the city of Jerusalem. If you have even a cursory knowledge of the Bible in biblical characters, you've heard about Peter before and John, and James, but this time not James the brother of John, but James the half-brother of Jesus. Well, that's who Paul met with. Peter, James, and John were the, really the central figures in the church in that day, and they, were, they lived in Jerusalem. Paul traveled to where they were to show honor and respect to them because Paul had been an adversary of the church. I mean, he had railed against Jesus and his followers, but now he went to Jerusalem to meet with these leaders so that they could see that his ministry was aligned with theirs. As Pastor Barry emphasized in that message, he was, they were, Paul was showing them honor, and, and honor always leads to freedom and fruit. The freedom that we're talking about this summer, as I've already said, is freedom from sin and death in the name of Jesus Christ. And the fruit that we receive once Jesus becomes Savior and Lord in our lives is results of a life lived according to kingdom will and kingdom purposes. And, and actually, that fruit will extend not only in this life, but into the next. So today, we're going to wrap up chapter 2 of Galatians. In it, we're going to read about a confrontation that Paul had with the Apostle Peter. We only have Paul's side of the argument, but we know that Paul told about it because he wanted the Galatian believers to recognize how important it is to put our faith in Jesus alone, not in anything else, certainly not in the Jewish law. And, and the only way we can be made right with God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you have your Galatians study and prayer guide, we're going to be turning to page 12. And on page 12, what you can see is that the title of today's message is, In God We Trust? Question mark. That's because Paul wanted to be certain that the Galatian believers were trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. Nothing else. Not Jesus and, just Jesus. 
And as I thought about this, it, it so coincides with what's coming up this coming weekend. This coming weekend, we celebrate the independence, uh, you know, from Britain of, of us as Americans. We're celebrating our 20th anniversary as a church. And so I wanted us to consider this question as well. Do we actually place our ultimate trust in God and God alone? And at the end of, our, of this message, my hope is that you're going to say, that's right. We put our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, not in anything else. I hope that that's the way it's going to be. That's my goal. It was certainly Paul's goal for the Galatian believers, and it's my hope for each of us that we understand that it's God and God alone in whom we trust. So today's take-home point sums up everything we're going to talk about today. Only faith in Jesus makes us right with God. Only faith in Jesus makes us right with God. We live in a culture where absolute truth is really questioned by many people. But this is one truth that we can't afford to ignore. By being made right with God, what I mean is being put into a right relationship with God so that we're going to experience his presence here in this life, in our interactions with other people, and ultimately for eternal life after this life ends. Jesus told us that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life that leads to that kind of a life. Paul had shared that with every Galatian believer and now he was defending that truth with everything that he had. So let's turn to Galatians 2, 11 to 21. But before we do that, let's pray together. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us your written word. And that Paul, as he wrote these letters, not knowing that he was actually writing scripture, he was writing truths that we need to not only know, but truths that we need to say, that's right, and live out in our daily lives in the power of your spirit. So today, as we talk about this important meeting between Paul and Peter and the result of it that we need to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone will be imprinted on our hearts, on our minds, in our lives so that this week we can live our lives in a way that gives you glory and honor and that shows the world that it is in you and you alone that we trust. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul picks this encounter that he had in Antioch with Peter to share with the Galatian believers because of the important point that it made. Now, Paul was in Antioch. Antioch was a place where there were a lot of Gentile, meaning non-Jewish Christians. In fact, there were so many, and they were such a strong group of believers, that Christians were actually first called Christians in Antioch. So Paul was in Antioch, and Peter came to pay a visit. And when Peter got there, he was uh, really friendly with the Gentile believers until something happened. That's what we're going to talk about in the passage we're reading today. And we don't know exactly when this encounter took place, but I'm guessing, uh, actually more than guessing, speculating and really probably almost sure, it happened before the council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. The reason I say almost surely before is because Paul and Barnabas were still a team when we read about this event that happened, and Paul and Barnabas split up as a team shortly after Acts 15, and also because Peter and Paul were on the same page at the council in Jerusalem, they both stood against the Judaizers, and today, as we're going to see, Peter was sort of not on that page at all. So let's look at what it says. This is Galatians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 11 and following. It says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted 
on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Paul pulls out the H word, hypocrisy, hypocrite. Many in our day accuse Christians of being hypocrites, don't they? They say that we don't practice what we preach. And as I've said many times, if this is what we say we believe and this is what we do, the distance between these two is the hypocrisy factor. So Jesus always did and said exactly the same thing. He was 100% consistent. And he's the only one that was. And there's some amount of a hypocrisy factor in all of our lives. And we really want it to be a minimal amount. We really want it to ultimately get to be like Jesus. But what Paul was saying is Peter was a hypocrite. And the reason he said that is when Peter first came to Antioch, he sat down to dinner and had dinner with the Gentile believers. And that was not kosher and literally not kosher. What that means is it was against Jewish law for a Jew to eat with a Gentile because the Jew would then become unclean, ceremonially unclean. But Peter didn't care. He ate with his Jewish, his Gentile believing brothers and sisters until a group of people came. They're called friends of James. They were most likely Judaizers. And uh, after the Judaizers came, Peter said, oh, I, I can't talk to you or eat with you anymore. Imagine what it must have felt like. If you were one of those Gentile believers, one day Peter's your best friend, the next day he won't talk to you? Can you say hypocrite? That's what Paul was saying. This is ridiculous. How in the world can you do this, Peter? And so when we have a group of people who are Gentile believers, which means they now believe in Jesus Christ and they were not Jews before that. And we have a group of Jewish believers, and that means they were Jews before they became believers in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, and they separate themselves from each other. Paul says, this is hypocrisy. This is wrong. This is the opposite of what Jesus came to do. Now, we might read about this situation and say, wow, what was Peter thinking? I mean, he even, he even led astray Barnabas. Barnabas had been one of the guys that led the Gentile believers in Antioch to Jesus. But Peter's concern of how it looked changed his behavior so much that, that he practiced this hypocrisy. And, and, and we, we think, well, how, how could he do that? But you realize it's not all that hard. In fact, it's rather easy to just go with the old ways, right? Back in the 1990s, here in America, we had what were called the worship wars. You may or may not have remembered that, but what happened was churches started singing contemporary worship songs. And there were those who said that unless a hymn had been written before any of our great-grandparents were alive, it really wasn't a suitable song for anybody to sing in church. So here's the thing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, if that formula looks familiar... We used that formula for an entire summer series a couple summers ago. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If we're going to be made right with God, if we're going to have a right relationship with God, it's going to come through Jesus Christ and nothing else. We're not going to go to heaven or hell because of the type of music that we sing or don't sing or uh, the type of people that we go to lunch or dinner with after worship at Burger King. That's what Paul's saying. Paul continues, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish tradition? Bingo. 
Paul says to Peter, how in the world are you all going to do what Jesus didn't make anybody do? Everybody knows that when we preach the gospel message, and for Peter, of all people, Peter preached the gospel message to Cornelius and a group of, of Romans, and they all received the Holy Spirit. They didn't have to follow the law. They didn't have to do anything. Everywhere Paul and Barnabas went, in all these Gentile cities, people trusted Jesus, Savior and Lord. They didn't have to follow the law. And now Paul is saying, Peter, you can't even do this yourself. And you're asking other people to do it. So the thing is, Peter had been living as a Gentile himself and living that way until he was reminded of his heritage as a Jew. Here's the thing. Never let the old ways... Never let the old ways get in the way of the new life that you have in Jesus. Paul continues his direct one-to-one conversation with Peter. He says, you and I are Jews by birth. Paul's talking to Peter. You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Do you notice how personal Paul made it? What does he say? You and I are Jews by birth. He says, we, you and I, once again, we have believed in Jesus Christ. We might be made right with God by our faith in Jesus. And he says, not because we obeyed the law. You see, Peter wasn't attacking. I mean, Paul wasn't attacking Peter personally. He wasn't trying to win the argument for the sake of winning the argument. He needed Peter to get to the point where Peter would say, whoa, that is right. That is universally true, Paul. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we're saved. We're not saved by any other means. So Paul used this personal interaction between him and Peter so that the Galatian believers would understand what was at stake here and how important it was. He wanted them to understand what, Paul, what, what he was saying. Now, his next words are not directed at Peter, but at his readers. And in this case, that includes us because we're reading it too. It says, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. Paul asked the Galatian believers if we seek to trust God and God alone for our salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, then what would happen if we did that and we were found guilty of following the law or abandoning the law? Now, if that's the case, that would mean that Jesus had led us into sin. That's ridiculous. In fact, Paul put it in the form of a question so he could answer it with a negative. So the question was, would that mean Christ has led us into sin? The answer in the Greek is me genoito. Paul is the only one that ever uses that phrase, me genoito. He only uses it eight times. It's the strongest possible way of saying no. In the New Living Translation we just read, it says absolutely not. The Old King James Version says, God forbid... I actually had a professor at Princeton, Dr. Christian Becker, and he said, we should translate that, hell no. It's that strong. Peter was doing something that nobody should do. Paul was wanting to make sure that nobody did it, and he should understand that just because we follow Jesus and we follow um, him and him alone as our means to salvation, would that mean that abandoning the law was leading us into sin? Would Jesus ever do that? No way. 
That's what Paul was saying. Paul had been a Pharisee. If anybody knew how important it was to follow the law, it was Paul. And what he was saying is, I've abandoned that because you know what? When I was trying to follow the law, and actually I even told the Philippian believers that I did it perfectly, I still fell short. Actually, in in his deepest heart, Paul knew that you cannot be good enough in your own effort by following the law or by following anything else to be saved. And that's why he asks this question, and that's why he answers it, God forbid, absolutely not. And at this point, I hope that you're thinking, that's right. That's right. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the only one who gives us freedom from sin and death. He's the only one actually who gives us freedom from having to follow the law so that we can follow him in the power of his Holy Spirit. And when we do that, we have absolute freedom in the areas that we need to have freedom. And that means that we will bear fruit. We will have results for the kingdom of God. So Paul closes out his comments in this section by writing, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Paul's training as a Pharisee had taught him how to think and reason effectively. What a clear conclusion. If keeping the law could make us right with God, then Jesus didn't need to die. You see, God would never have sent Jesus into the world for a minute, let alone for 33 years, if we could just try a little harder and follow the law perfectly. No one has ever been perfect at following the law. As I said in week one of the series, God doesn't grade on the curve, and perfection is his standard, and only Jesus has ever achieved the standard. He's the only human being who has ever lived who from the time he was born until the time he was crucified always thought, said, and did what God the Father wanted him to think, say, and do. The Galatian believers had believed the good news. They had received salvation through Jesus Christ, through the blood that he shed on the cross, through his resurrection, through his return to heaven, through the sending of the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus plus nothing. And that's what Paul is getting them to believe. And they can never trust on anything else, not the law or any effort for their salvation. How important it is for us to recognize that. You see, if we don't say that's right to that truth, then we're going to follow a path that's going to lead away from salvation. Because as soon as we start down the road of Jesus plus, Jesus and this, Jesus and that, we have missed the truth. And we have missed the rock and foundation of our salvation. You see, it's not about who is in political power. It's not about our effort at becoming better. It's not about following the right order of worship or going out to dinner with the right people. Those are all secondary and even smaller matters. Jesus is the way to be made right with God. Some might say, well, that's all well and good when I die. But what about here and now? How am I supposed to live that out right now? Paul gave us the answer. When he said, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. When Jesus said that we must be born again, he meant that we must be born spiritually. 
Paul experienced that rebirth. And that's why he said that his old self had been crucified with Christ. His old sinful nature no longer dominant. Now he is alive through the life that he has in Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. You know, Martin Luther said this nearly 500 years ago. He said, we are all little Christ because we all die to ourselves and Jesus Christ becomes center of our life. Yes, we continue to live in our earthly bodies, but when we trust in God's Son who loved us and gave himself up for us, we live new lives. It's not the do my best and hope for the best that the Judaizers said we had to do, but it's give up the old way of life trying all together. We give up that way of trying and trying and trying. We put on Jesus Christ from the inside out and then we're transformed. And Pastor Alex reminded us of this. We are new creations. What does that mean? We live in new ways. When we are new creations, we live in new ways and those ways reflect Jesus in us. Thank God that he didn't give us Jesus and the law of Moses, Jesus and the right songs, Jesus and anything, but just Jesus. We must never count his grace as meaningless. And we only count his grace as meaningless when we rely on anything in addition to him and his spirit to shed, to to lead us to the new lives that he has already given us. He's the one that paid the penalty. He's the one that shed the blood. We don't have to do any of that. So if you're ready to live that kind of life or keep living that kind of life, then here's today's next step. I will put my faith in Jesus, not my effort this week. In God we trust. Yes, that's right. We trust in the one true and living God who freed us from sin and death through Jesus' death and resurrection and who gives us the opportunity to produce fruit, the results that will last not only through this life but through eternity in every single moment. That's right. And we can settle for nothing less. Now, if you've been listening as I've been a little bit animated today about this importance of putting Jesus first, Jesus and nothing else, and he isn't first in your life, it's important that you remember what that means is Jesus becomes Savior and Lord. Savior means rescuer from sin and death. Lord means owner. And here at New Life, we say it's simple to do. It's not easy to live out. It's very simple to do, though. It's as simple as ABC. A is admit that we're sinners. We admit that we've tried to do it ourselves or we haven't even tried to do it at all, that we haven't lived the kind of life that God created us to live. The second thing we do is we believe that what Paul said is true. Jesus is the one who died on the cross for our sins. Nothing we did. It's not the law. It's not anything about us. It's only about him. We believe that Jesus lived the perfect life, only perfect life ever lived. He died on the cross and paid the penalty we owed God for our sins. He rose from the dead, returned to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit to us, and even at this very moment is praying for us. And then C, we confess those sins that we admitted to ourselves. We confess them to God. We release them to Him. And we confess to anyone who will listen that we're under new management, that Jesus Christ is now Lord and Savior in our lives. If you'd like to do that right now, then I'd encourage you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and love. We thank you so much for your many blessings in our lives. Right now, I ask you to hear the voice of anyone who is for the very first time saying, God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm broken and I need you. I believe that Jesus is your son, that he's God. I believe that he's Lord. He gets to be my owner. He's Savior. He has saved me, rescued me from sin and death. I claim that in my life right now. And I confess, God, all my sins to you and ask you to wash them away with the blood of Jesus. 
And I also ask you to give me the courage and the presence of your Holy Spirit that I will confess to my friends and my family and to other people, people with whom I work, live, learn, and play, God, that, that Jesus is Lord and Savior in my life now, that I will be different from the inside out, that I will live as that new creation that I am right now. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for worshiping here at New Life Online. I pray that you have a great week. I hope that I see many of you at the celebration this coming Friday. Um, if you're not able to come out in person, we understand that. We'll be here again next week, Lord willing. Um, and same time as always, 8.30, 10.30 in the morning, 6.30, 8.30 in the evening as we celebrate next weekend um, what it means for us to live in a heritage of faith. God bless you all. Have a great week.